how's it going? It's Stuart here at Strength for Tomorrow Radio. Thank you for joining me again. This is episode 30, would you believe? 30 episodes in. Hopefully you've listened to at least 29 of them. Um, last week we dealt with uh, postnatal fitness and you, all the ins and outs of getting back to training or starting training after you've had a baby. So if you, if you have a baby, you already had a baby, or you're about to have a baby, that's worth listening to. All the questions you could possibly have about that are probably answered in that episode. It's nearly an hour long and uh, yeah, it's well worth listening to. Share it with somebody else if you know who is having a baby or has had a baby and is having issues or questions with their training. Do share it with them and I'm sure they'll find it helpful. This week we're going to deal with fitness and nutrition myths. So there's actually 40 of them. I think there's 40. I don't 40. We'll not keep track of them. We'll just keep, we'll rattle through them pretty quickly. But um, yeah, there's so much fabrication and nonsense in fitness and health nutrition space we're going to try and round up on some of the commonly thought things that maybe you're maybe you're you still think them maybe you've fallen for them in the past we're going to round them up on them and let you know why they are myths why they're not exactly accurate or else they're completely false so do stick around and yeah let me know what you think share your comments share your uh, your questions as we go into christmas Right, straight into it. The first one, you can get stronger using light weights. How often do we hear that one? Quite a lot, I would say. Um, maybe you've heard it before. I've heard it till I'm, I'm sick hearing about it. But you can get stronger using light weights. First of all, I need to define what is stronger. Stronger is the ability to apply a force against an external resistance. So if you increase that force, you will be able to apply it better. Correct? So how do you know if you're able to apply more force? You don't know until you actually lift heavier weights. So we need to define what light weights is as well. Um, light to you might be different to light to me. Light to me might be different to somebody else. So we need to define what light weights are. You know, we can't just put a number on and say, right, 6 kgs or heavy dumbbells or light dumbbells. They might be heavy for somebody, they might be light for somebody else. Now, this one I think is gets confusing because people think, well, I can do more reps. I, I did 12 reps with uh, curling or, or bench, let's say bench press. I, I did um, I did 40 kg bench press last week. Um, I did I did uh, 10 reps and uh, this week I can do 12. I did 12 this week, so I'm getting stronger. What they actually should say is that they've increased their muscle endurance. They've increased their stamina their muscles they're, they haven't actually increased strength because if they're hitting 40 kilos last week and hitting 40 kilos this week the weight hasn't changed so their strength hasn't gone up it is as simple as that number two walking isn't enough to lose weight so you can probably finish that sentence off with anything walking isn't enough to lose weight you need to do da 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 but this is also a myth walking is enough to lose weight now the other thing might be nutrition I always say nutrition is the main thing, and it really is the main thing when it comes to losing weight. If you literally put it this way, if you literally stop eating, you're gonna lose weight. No, it's not all this. It's not all um weight that you want to lose, but it is weight. Weight is weight. Whether it's muscle tissue, fat tissue, um, glycogen, water, whatever, you will lose weight. Walking can help that. It can amplify that just by burning energy. You just burn energy whenever you walk, and whenever you're at your biggest and your heaviest, walking is your best friend. You can lose even more weight then because you're expending more energy with every stride every step than someone who is a little bit lighter or as you start to lose more weight you have to 
you don't need to use as much energy to do the same amount of work to do the same amount of steps I should say keep it keep the, the, the fine terms nice and narrow so walking isn't enough to lose weight you can lose a lot of weight just walking you don't necessarily have to lift weights to, to lose weight you don't necessarily have to do uh, running or, or swimming or hit training or box exercise or any of those things you can lose weight walking if you walk enough literally walk the legs off yourself and you're getting your 20 10 15 whatever thousand steps and you're continually walking that's going to burn a lot of energy number three you can target where you burn fat so this one i think people still believe it even though lots of great personal trainers have pointed out the fact that you can't now there are some studies that suggest that you can you can you know if you do some cardio and then you do some sit-ups there have been a few minor studies done that suggest you can burn not point not 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 one percent or something um extra fat from those abdominal areas by doing core exercise um after you've done like a minute of hit or yeah high intensity cardio but is it worth the effort really no you're not going to get the best value you're probably going to be better doing weights or doing cardio I'm going to say doing weights because I, I do fundamentally believe it is more effective and it is something you can progressively um, improve upon and use to burn fat. Cardio is a little bit more tricky after a while, gets you going, but after a while it'll start to plateau a little bit more. So you can target where you burn fat. That is a, that is a myth. Categorically, that is a myth. And it's not probably the first time you've heard it's a myth. Hopefully it's not. If you still believe that, it's wrong. Number four, you shouldn't work out on an empty stomach or doing cardio before weights will help you get shredded faster. So that's that's one that you really need to, um, I guess, think about a little bit more. So some people say that you shouldn't do weights, you shouldn't work out on an empty stomach. And other people say, you know, if you do cardio before weights, it'll help you get shredded faster. So there's, there's something interesting about that. I would say eating before you do um, weight training isn't a bad idea going to help your power output eating before doing you know a bunch of burpees and jumping about and hit training maybe not a good idea for most people and again it depends on most people so some people say you shouldn't work out and some other people say you should work out this is an interesting one it really depends on the person i find but there's no real fundamental answer to it there's been again some minor studies have suggested that you can burn more fat fast at cardio in the morning i know personally that i could go for a run on an empty stomach not a problem but if you ask me to do weights on an empty stomach, I think I would struggle to lift as heavy as I should be able to lift. So this one bunched together is doing cardio before weights will help you get shredded faster. To be honest with you, you know, if you if you kind of jump on a treadmill before you do weights or a rowing machine or whatever, you're going to be more fatigued and you're not going to be able to train as heavy. So the problem is you're not going to be able to be able to um to help preserve that muscle. Um, that you're looking to preserve. We've dealt with this before in the fat loss episode. I think it was like episode three or something. It's really early on. It's the most popular episode by far. But basically, you need need a calorie deficit to get shredded. You need a slight calorie deficit, and you can do that. You can help achieve that through nutrition mainly. You can help achieve. You can achieve that through you know amplified through um, cardio through weights whatever you want to do. But the problem is when you're calorie deficit, your body just wants energy, so it'll start trying to burn stuff. And start trying to burn any sort of tissue you can get, whether it's muscle or it's fat, it doesn't care. It doesn't care. You care, but it, your 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 body, your your makeup does not care about it. So that is why you probably shouldn't do 
cardio before doing weights, you're going to be weak, you're going to be tired, you're going to be fatigued, and you're not going to be able to lift as heavy. So if your goal is to try and get shredded, try and retain muscle and burn fat, I would do it the other way around, or just do weights. Number five, um, of all the fitness rumours that have ever surfaced, this one is it's a really interesting one. No pain, no gain. Have you ever heard that? I think we've all heard that. No pain, no gain. And it's really, really bad advice, especially if you're a newbie. You're not used to the gym. You're not really good at self-identifying what type of pain it is. You could really do some serious harm. Um, now, you, you might ex expect a little bit of soreness, muscle fatigue, muscle soreness, um, DOMS, dead onset muscle um, soreness. So you might expect that after doing a weight training session. But after if you've been doing something progressively and not randomly, you shouldn't really feel that too bad if you're doing it regularly enough. Um, now, sometimes people struggle with this advice because they think, oh, that pain in my shoulder, that pain in my knee, or that pain in my hip, oh, no pain, no gain, right? So just continue working out and making it worse and worse and worse. So it shouldn't hurt your joints. That's another thing to bear in mind. You should not be hurting your joints when you're doing exercise, when you're doing training. If your joints are sore, that's an indication there's a big, big problem. Whether it's technique, whether it's... Um, it's probably technique to be perfectly honest, but there's something not right. Maybe you have a previous injury, previ previous injury that you need to get sorted, might get rehabbed properly. Maybe your 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 the shoes you're wearing aren't correct. Maybe your foot alignment's off, but probably it's going to be a technique a technique issue, or you've got an under yeah, underlying issue that um you know posturally that's gonna set something off. So you need to be able to identify is it a a normal pain is it like it's a muscle soreness that's quite normal and goes away it's just part of the stress recovery adaptation process or is it uh something more concerning something that's gonna keep you out of action so that's something to think about no pain no gain yeah in many ways it is a myth next one number six but well, maybe we'll keep a count on i don't know um stretch before you work out stretch before you work out have you heard that before yeah quite often you'll see runners doing that you know they'll be doing the old quad stretch they'll be holding on a tree or a fence or a lamppost and stretching pulling the feet up foot up behind their back and stretching their their quad and holding it and holding it holding it stretching before you work out i guess this idea has been i guess we got it in pe didn't we in school you're always told to stretch out stretch before you did a workout there's really no reason to stretch before you work out really we should be all doing mobility you know as a daily part of our day like brushing your teeth and you know combing your hair people still comb their hair i don't know but brushing your teeth, hopefully everyone still does that. You really need like, you need to do it every single day. Um, doing it before you work out. We've dealt with this before in the episode um, for runners. We, we dealt in that about maybe four or five episodes ago. I can't remember exactly. But basically, whenever, the fine, whenever you stretch your muscle and you hold a stretch for 35, 40, 50, 60 seconds, a static stretch, you are decreasing your power output. You are gonna limit yourself and what you're gonna be able to do so don't be surprised if your, your your output goes down so whether it's weight training or running or something else your performance is gonna suffer because you're doing static stretching now there is an argument to be made for more dynamic stretching so just preparing your body like if you're gonna squat do some body weight squats if you're gonna do some bench press maybe do some push-ups or do something lighter do some some sort of like lunges even if you're going to do deadlifts you're going to do something that's going to have a crossover that's going to warm up the relevant joints the relevant areas and muscle groups absolutely fine but holding a stretch is a bad idea and there's no indication that it helps reduce injuries at all 
or prevents injuries. So, yeah, that one's a myth. Next one, number seven, lifting heavy weights makes you bulky. Oh, I'm going to turn my hair. I just reading that one. But it only makes you bulky with alongside excess calories. And it's not necessarily the weights that do it. It's the excess calories. If you ate excess calories and didn't lift any weights, you would still get bulky. Okay, so it's not the weights that are the difference maker there. Lifting heavy weights does not make you bulky. You can put on muscle. And men and women put on different amounts of muscle. Women, very, very slight amounts. Men, much, much easier due to their hormone balance, mainly. So, lifting weights is not the tipping point for making you bulky. If you're, if you're getting bulky and you happen to be doing weights, it's not the weights' fault. Don't blame them. So, we've dealt with that one in the great detail in previous episodes as well. Number eight, exercise machines are safer than free weights. Again, this is one we've dealt with in previous shows, but... It's also a myth. They're not safer. Like I said before, you can, you, whenever you do free weights, you're training the stability as, aspect of it. So you're training your joints to stabilize and that engages more muscle tissue. And it also keeps you safer in the long run. If you're always training like a really restricted type of movement on a, on a machine, okay, you might get quite strong in that particular movement. And I understand if you're disabled or you're not able to do free weights um, as prescribed okay machines might might be necessary but to say that they are safer than free weights is incorrect there's lots of people injured themselves with free weights all the time i hurt my back years ago on a smith machine and ever since then i thought what a dumb machine and i get that like, there's certain ways you can do it and you know you can do them safer than others but it's a stupid machine it really is stupid just lift the barbell just squat just press just dead deadlift or just um yeah do do it with a free weight that way you're in control of it and you're causing yourself to have to do the balancing. You're having to um, use all the things you use daily in your life. Functional movements. Barbell squatting, deadlifting, pressing, free weights, dumbbells. Use all that sort of stuff. You know, if you've got a trainer or a coach or someone, you know, figure out what the right setting is for you. I guess that's going to limit things, but... There's a lot of things, like even like the leg press machine, the amount of people who herniate their discs in a leg press machine is terrifying. It's terrifying. People think it's safer than squatting for some reason. Um, there's people like hyperextend their knee, do all sorts of damage, hurt, hurt their knee ligaments. There's all sorts of things can go, go wrong with machine weights. So that one, that's also a myth. Number nine, lots of sweat means you're out of shape. Lots of sweat does not mean you're out of shape. Some people just happen to sweat more than others. Now, if you've had a rough night and you've been drinking... You might sweat more than I and you and you would normally, if you you know have uh, are in a very warm room, you're gonna sweat. Um, it doesn't actually mean you're out of, out of shape. Some of the some of the fittest people I've ever met are huge sweaters. Some of the most unfit people I've ever met are also huge sweaters. So, sweating does not mean you're out of shape. I, I find that girls don't sweat as much as guys in general. Not always, but in general, it's kind of kind of interesting. I always kind of think there's something wrong with them. Somebody clogged up their pores that they can't sweat. But, you know, it's just girls being glamorous, I guess. Girls, we don't have that, guys, right? Number 10, crunches are the king of core exercises. This is one, I guess, like Instagrammers and YouTube and Facebook and all those sort of things. Crunches are the king of core exercises. And everybody loves crunches because of that burny feeling you get in your abs, right? But they're not the best core exercise. They're very one-dimensional. And they are actually can be quite bad for you if you have had previous history of back injury and for a lot of people if they have had a, back, a history of back injury i would insist that they didn't do um crunches and certainly not um throwing themselves up off the floor um scrunching their discs again in their lower back 
probably not a good idea. They're not the king of core exercises. There are lots and lots of other great options. Paloff press, dead bug, bird dog, um, plank, side plank. There's lots of different things that you can do that are safer for your spine and are going to benefit you in a functional way to help your core. Um, there's all sorts of different ways you can work your core, so do bear that in mind. Crunches, things like that. Yes, you do feel a bit of a burn there, but it doesn't, you know, your, your, your abs are at the front are only one part of the muscles that you need to have a strong core. So if you're only doing crunches and relying on that for your core strength, uh, uh, it's not enough. Next one, number 11, training makes me hungry. So I get that this one is quite individual and a lot of people will be like, yeah, training does make me hungry. Whenever I do a workout, I feel really hungry afterwards. There's actually studies out that suggest that high intensity training actually suppresses your appetite. So it's an interesting one. I would suggest that this is a myth and that you are actually thirsty. So this happens during the day, even whenever you haven't done any exercise and you think, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm starving, just want my dinner. I suggest, tell us the new clients, especially ones who are trying to lose weight, obviously, but you, you need to go and drink something. Go and drink some water. Not something. <laughs> something could be could be misconstrued as alcohol. I'm not suggesting that. Go and drink some water. Drink a glass, drink two glasses, drink whatever it takes. And I guarantee it, nine out of ten times you will feel more full up. You will feel less hungry if you go and have something to drink. A lot of the time it's just because you're dehydrated. Whenever you work out, you sweat, like we said before, most people anyway. And that can sometimes make you feel hungry. So that one I'm going to say is a myth, but put a wee bit of a caveat in it. Now, I get there's going to be people probably going to argue with me as well about that one. Because I'm like, you don't know how I feel, man. You're not in my head. You are there. Oh, I've got American. Um, number 12. The best time to work out is first thing in the morning. So this is, this is a point of contention and one of controversy and one of again individuals some people prefer to work out in the morning it's absolutely fine nothing wrong with that some people prefer to work out in the evening absolutely fine nothing wrong with that some prefer to work out in the middle of the day cool now unless you're an elite athlete you don't probably don't need to worry too much about when is the optimal time to work out you really don't you're gonna still get on a good workout regardless really the best time is the time that allows you to do it consistently so if you can get ahead of the game, get up early, get up at 6 or 7, get your workout in, and you can do that consistently, great. If you have to squeeze it in at the end of the day, fine, but as long as you can kind of keep squeezing it in then, that's the, that's the problem, isn't it? Sometimes whenever we leave it so long during the day, then we're like, oh, I just, I'm just tired, I just want to stick on Netflix and lie up and watch some TV. That, that can be a problem, but if you're trying to make it a habit, then yeah, you want to make sure it's a time that you can stick to, and Sometimes people say it's the best time to do it in the morning because you do the most important things. The things you have to do in the day are non-negotiables. You get them done first. So there's all sorts of theories into like, you know, if you're in this age or this demographic, you should work out this these hours of the day and blah, blah, blah. But I would say for most people, just find a time that suits you. There's no best time. And don't let someone tell you your workout's a load of rubbish because you do it at 9 a.m. instead of uh, 7 a.m. <clears throat> Sorry, you know, cough here. Not allowed to cough anymore these days, are we? <coughs> Weight training turns fat into muscle. So this is another common one. And the, the opposite, a lot of people think that stopping weight training turns muscle into fat. Both are non, are completely fictional. They're completely wrong. 
You can't turn fat into muscle or vice versa. Physiologically speaking, they're completely different tissues. So adipose fatty tissue, it's found underneath your skin and it's it's between your muscles and around your internal organs like your heart and stuff like that. It's a nice cushion. It's a nice cushion for the heart. Muscle tissue, um, it can be broken down, I guess, into the kind of three main types, but it's found throughout the body. It's found all over your body, um, attached to your, your, your skeleton, essentially. So what weight training really does is to help you build up that muscle tissue, um, regardless of what the fat tissue, the fat tissue can stay there, but you can still build, build more muscle. But, you know, the same is true, you could put on more fat and not necessarily put on more muscle. So again, like we said earlier, the important thing is the nutrients. So what you're taking in, calories in, calories out. The quality of those nutrients as well. Um, best way to reduce fat tissue is through your diet. Like we've said, so getting your vegetables, getting all your, your proteins, getting your fibre, getting those things in, creating a calorie deficit. That's the best way to reduce fat tissue. And that's why weight training is really effective because it, it, it kind of creates the illusion. It does a few things. One thing is it creates the illusion that you've lost weight, even though you might have said the same weight or put on weight, because you've you've hardened and firmed. Muscles, muscle gets, can get hard. Muscle can make everything hold together better. So it creates that, that idea of toning we all talk about toning. So that's what that's all about. Whenever you increase muscle tissue, men and women, we can both do it, different extents, but very difficult, but it's worth it. Um, you also increase your metabolism. It takes more calories to, to, to keep you ticking over. It means you can easier get in, easier get into a calorie deficit. That's bad English. It means you can get into a calorie deficit easier. Hopefully that makes sense. Number 14, puzzles and games are the best brain workout around. This one... This one isn't as common, I guess, but it's a pretty popular myth. A lot of people think that they don't need exercise as they get older. As long as I keep my brain healthy, guys. As long as I do my Sudoku, as long as I do my word puzzles and all that stuff. But studies show that you can kill two birds with one stone and not have to waste your time doing, you know, waiting for the Sudoku to come out in the newspaper tomorrow by doing exercise. So both strength training and aerobic if you want to. But strength training, you're, like we said before, your strength is the thing that's going to leave. You don't need to have the cardiovascular capacity of a horse, of a, a, a grand national racehorse. You need to have strength, though. You need to be able to get strong, stay strong, and that's going to maintain your independence as you get older. The found as well, when you do strength training, it helps improve your brain, um, your decision-making ability. Um, that's a really key thing as you get older. And whenever you, you exercise, the benefits of that are just profound in all sorts of ways, both physically and mentally. Number 15, exercise is the best way to lose weight. So you hear a lot of people saying that, PTs as well, a lot of trainers will be like, you know, you need to do an exercise if you want to lose weight. You need to join the gym, you need to do this class, you need to do that class. The fact of the matter is, I'm really upfront, and sometimes it's probably to the detriment of my business, but I'm quite upfront with clients. If they if they approach me or ask or inquire about starting, starting to do training to lose weight, and I make it really clear. I'm like, listen, if, if you know, if they are really obese and overweight, I'm I'm gonna be upfront. I'm not gonna waste their time or their money, and I'm gonna tell them, you can get really far, by, by just dialing your nutrition. And a lot of times they're like, yeah, yeah, I know that, but I want to train as well, which is cool, and I'm glad. I'm, it's obviously healthier if you're, if you're training, and it's easier to maintain it um, going forward. But if you're gonna lose weight, the simple thing is you have to be in a calorie deficit. Yes, strength training. 
aerobic activity, classes, swimming, whatever you want to do, horse racing, croquet, whatever you want to play, water polo, whatever you want to do, that can help amplify the effects of your calorie deficit. So you can easily get into a calorie deficit in, in a more um, sustainable way. You can only get drop your calories down so far. So it kind of ramps it up, it speeds it up, and helps you achieve that in a healthy way. But if you drop your calories too low, too fast, lo and behold, all your weight comes back on again. So I would say that exercise is not the best way to lose weight. A lot of people worry about their calorie burn, how many calories they burned in a class or in an hour of exercise. How many many calories? To be honest with you, I look at it this way. Whenever you do exercise, weight training, cardio, cardio, whatever classes, burning energy is a byproduct. You don't like if you go if you go there just to burn energy and you think that's all you're getting out of the class, you've really missed the point the point. You've missed the boat. You're 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 looking at it from a one dimensional point of view. You need to go fourth dimensional, man. You need to make sure that you're looking at it and saying, right, I'm getting my, my bones are getting stronger, my muscles getting stronger, my my cardiovascular capacity is improving, um, my clothes are fitting better. Oh look, that's a byproduct. Losing weight's a byproduct of exercise. It's not should never be the goal because that can lead to some really unhelp unhealthy and unhelpful attitudes and habits forming, such as extreme diets, such as over exercising. Next thing you'll have joint problems and you'll just not be recovering properly. So exercise is not the best way to lose weight. The best way to lose weight is to get your nutrition in check, to have a smart audit of your nutrition. Moving on then, number 16. Running a marathon is the ideal way to get fitter. So this is a, it's a common kind of thought, isn't it? That marathon runners and long distance runners are the fittest humans on earth. And I guess aerobically they're pretty much up there. You know, if you can run muscle endurance and and aerobic capacity, they're pretty much up there. But fitness is much, much more than just aerobic capacity and muscle um, aerobic capacity and muscle endurance. There's so much more to it. There's strength, there's power, there's accuracy, there's speed. There's there's other aspects to it that really need to be paid attention to. But is running a marathon the ideal way to get fit? I would have to say no, purely, well, for several reasons. But well, first, main big reason is it takes you a long time to train up to a marathon if you're going to be smart about it. Now, some people are just naturally quite fit, stay fit all year round. They don't have to go into get into shape or get their minds up to do a marathon. They just kind of hang around that fit zone. You know, what are they going to do? Like a half a marathon or a 10k on a whim. You know, say they just wake up some morning and register for a race. But it, it takes a long time for most people to get up to that. Other thing is, you know, you have to run miles and miles and miles every week. That's, that's a lot of hours you're having to sacrifice. You're going to be away from your friends, going to be away from your family. And your home life, that's a long, a long, long time. There are more effective ways. There are more ideal ways that you can save time, such as high-intensity interval training, such as weights. Three hours a week and you're sweet. You know, three hours a week and you can really help help your, your health. I would also say that running a marathon, I would argue that it's detrimental to your health. I think that's taking things to the extreme. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's like, you know, Eddie Hall deadlift 500 kilos just because he could um did it you know he wanted to break the record that's what he wanted to do does that mean he you know his level of strength is optimal for everybody no the guy nearly bust his eyeballs the guy's guy nearly killed himself doing it he nearly died and um that's something to take into account when it comes to doing things to the extreme there's optimal for health and then there's competitiveness outside of that so running a marathon funnily enough a marathon's a competition so you want to be competitive right 
And again, going back to the time thing, do you really want to sacrifice two hours of your life, six or seven days a week? It's up to you really, isn't it? it? Depends what stage in life you're at. Number 17. Muscle definition comes from lifting lightweight for many reps. And I, I used to think this one, whenever I was growing up, you know, you'd, you'd have very limited knowledge and limited access to finding stories and finding information about weight training. And it made sense in my head. I was thinking, well, if lifting heavy weights makes your muscles big, lifting light weights probably makes them defined, right? Uh -uh. So leanness and muscle definition, those things come from reducing body fat. Okay, so if you have to increase your muscle mass significantly and then you have to reduce your body fat. Now you can do it the other way, but it's not as effective and doesn't make any sense logically. But if you only train with light weights, you won't build muscle. If you've got built yourself up and you've got really strong, really big, and you're like, right, I need to, need to trim down now, I need to get, to get leaner. If you start lifting light weights in a calorie deficit, which is what you need, you need to be in a calorie deficit, but you start lifting light weights alongside that, you're going to probably lose a lot of muscle tissue. Now, you might get a little bit leaner, but you're going to lose a lot of strength. You're going to lose muscle tissue, muscle mass as well. So the two things you need to do if you're in a calorie deficit trying to get toned up is loads and loads and loads of protein and lift heavy, heavy weights. Okay, and try and maintain. Just try and maintain. Don't try and get any stronger or try and do too much. Do your best, obviously, but don't go easy on yourself or anything, but... Don't lift light weights if you're trying to get ripped, basically, is what I'm saying. You can't gain muscle after 40, number 18. You can't gain muscle after 40. Who comes up with these things? It, it is common, like a lot of people think of that, but if you break it down physiologically, why is a 40-year-old any different to a 39-year-old? Why should there be a cut-off point of building muscle? Yes, age does bring wear and tear. You know, whenever you're 40, you have more niggles, knocks, and um, issues than you did when you're 30. You know, but essentially you're still a bit of a baby. I mean, what's the average lifespan now between 70 and 80 for most countries? You're still pretty young. You know what I mean? You're like middle age. You're not old. You're not over the hill. Now, if you had a, a professional background, you know, competitive, whatever you did, you might have some um, issues. But you can still gain muscle despite the changes in your hormones that occur as you get older. It just is a little bit harder, but that, that, that adaptation process still still happens. Um, there's other things you might want to get your blood, um, blood checked, get some blood work done, maybe, you know, get saliva tests done just to kind of figure out if there's any deficiencies, if there's any nutrients you need to stock up on. But, you know, there's other things available as well, like um, hormone replace, replacement therapy, testosterone replacement therapy. If you're a guy and girl, there are certain things that might need to happen, but they shouldn't be looked upon as being abnormal. Those are things. We just we start losing those things and there's consequences for our health as well as our fitness. So things like heart disease or osteoporosis, you need to kind of get those things looked into. But if you've been maintaining your fit, like I wouldn't say just start taking up weights after you're 40. Like don't wait till you're 40 is what I'm saying. Try and make sure that you are, you're working and you're training in your 20s, put it away in the bank, put that training in the bank for your 30s, for your 40s, whenever you have less time, whenever you've got kids, whenever you've got a family, whenever you've got stuff going on, if you have trained hard in the time that you have when you're in your 20s, when you've got literally no, you have nothing to do, um, in your 30s and 40s and beyond, when you get busier, then that's the time you can really call upon it. And so whenever you're in 40, it's easier to maintain than trying to start anew. So try and get the work done when you're early and you're younger is what I'm trying to say. If you're listening to this and you are younger, if you're older, keep going at it. Number 19, the more you sweat, the more fat you lose. So that's kind of go back to the, similar to the other one. 
the fact is sweat has nothing to do with intensity it could be just the room's a bit warmer today than the last day if it's kind of your body's way of just getting rid of the heat it's a way of cooling you down so fat is there's oxidized oxidized inside your body and it's not going to vaporize because you're sweating okay that's not the fat leaking out whenever you're, you're sweating loads okay it's just your cooling system that's you know working quite well number 20 avocados peanut butter and oils are clean and they help you to lose weight so it's true that we do need lots of healthy fats um most people classify that as an outside saturated fat but i would argue that we kind of need all of the fats some more than others but those things they tend to be quite rich in don't they avocados peanut butter oils you know, olive oil and stuff like that they are really important they're important for hormone balance or important for optimal health but just even even because you have a hundred percent clean diet doesn't mean you're going to lose weight the thing with fat all those things that we're talking about there avocados peanut butter nuts seeds oils those are things that are high in calories because they're high in fats they're high in calories so you can easily go over your calorie allowance per day and even put on weight that's yes not uncommon um by eating nothing but clean food as people like to call it clean food avocados are clean food <laughs> that my head in. um I, I had one time actually she started um she started taking up a vegan more of a vegan diet and i'm not gonna don't wanna piss off the vegans but uh she uh, that's the last thing we need she um she said oh, i've done really well this month we're about the way in she said i've done really well this month i'm eating so clean like i'm eating so healthy no no car no no carbs like sugary snacks or anything like that and i was like that's brilliant that's great yeah stepping the scales and she was like half a stone heavier after a month i kid you not and so i was like we were scratching her head i was scratching my head she was scratching her head i wasn't long into this game at this stage and uh, then we could chat and I said, like, what, what have you changed or what have you not changed in the last, you're obviously not eating those snacks, so like biscuits, crisps, no, none of that, none of that. I said, like, what have you done or what, what are you eating for lunch? And then she told me, she started going to this new um, healthy cafe restaurant. I was eating there like two times a day. And then I got to thinking and I realised, ah, oh, they replace a lot of stuff with seeds and nuts and try and make it really full of flavour to make it really palatable and tasty. And yes there's lots of healthy good fats in those things and it's all organic correct correct but the fact was she'd gone over a calorie deficit she wasn't in a calorie deficit even though she was eating clean she was eating nutritionally dense food ticking all the boxes apart from the calories and that was a thing that put her over the edge so don't fall for that one moving on then number 21 we're halfway there don't don't fear we're getting there um yoga will get you ripped you ever heard that you ever heard people thinking that yeah i do yoga because it's really good for for losing weight the fact is unless you're doing something like hot yoga you're not going to burn an awful lot of calories because you know you really don't need an awful lot of oxygen it's it's difficult to do it's challenging from what i understand but it's not going to burn an awful lot of energy it's difficult to get into those positions because you're inflexible but it's not strenuous as in energy sapping or energy demanding it also doesn't stimulate muscle growth in the same way that weight training does, or even body weight training. And I'm aware I'm saying, like, saying body weight training, because yoga is body weight training, right? Most of the time. But you could do things like push ups, pull ups, blah, 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 and get to a certain extent. You could stimulate muscle growth and get, get, get more ripped that way. But weight training just accelerates and amplifies that effect so much more effectively. 
if you see someone who's kind of buff or ripped or you know who's yoga into yoga and done it for a long time and they tell you that all they do is yoga a lot of the time it's because they've trained with weights previously and they're not telling you and the same goes for a lot of influencers a lot of influencers are like do this workout guys and you get to look like me you have a bum like me you have arms like me da 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 they're, they're being dishonest because what they've done previously is do heavyweight training and that's the bit they leave out because that doesn't really sell as much as they're hoping their new program will that they've patented so yeah you can get ripped if you're doing if you want to think of it like that if you're doing yoga if you don't eat so again calorie deficit if you're gonna be uh, you're in a calorie deficit but you're not gonna have a good amount of muscle mass you're not gonna have enough muscle mass to be ripped you'll probably just be thin and skinny but that's not the yoga that's the calorie deficit hopefully you, under you understand that I'm sure there's lots of other benefits of yoga, but if it's if you're looking to get ripped, yoga is probably not the most effective way to do it. That's kind of my summation of that rant. <laughs> Number 22, creatine causes massive weight gain. So creatine is actually found naturally in your body, and its main use is for energy. It's an energy source. So the idea is that it pulls water into the muscle cell, and um, which can cause the cell to volumize, get bigger. Volume of cells are healthy, you know, and, and super really and really strong people that can actually make muscles look bigger. A lot of cyclists would take creatine, and there's actually been a lot of evidence recently that suggests it helps with your brain health. Some people think it's just gym junkies who kind of <laughs> take creatine and they're really into the gym, but it's actually a really good supplement to take um for your brain. And sometimes the reason for you know people kind of blame creatine for putting on weight because they combine it with something like you know carbs or you know other they're always you know sometimes they're on a bulk whenever they do it so they'll they'll not define whether it was the carbs or whether it was the creatine or whether it was the excess calories that actually caused them to gain weight and it wasn't the creatine generally speaking yes there might be a bit of water weight you know combined with sugar creatine can cause subcutaneous water gain but you can lose it you know what I mean you can you can lose it very very easy it's not like you put on body fat tissue because of creatine. Number 23, high protein diets are bad for your kidneys. I used to think this one was true. I used to be a little bit little bit naive and a little bit scared to take cre uh, protein because I used to think, like, oh, I don't want to have to like, lose my kidneys and stuff. But protein taxes the kidneys because they do have to work harder to process it. And healthy people without any sort of pre-existing kidney conditions are absolutely fine to eat lots of protein as long as they drink lots and lots of water as well. And I would say alongside that, you need to make sure that you're taking in your your other vitamins, minerals and fibre to help you know, to try and help you digest digest it all. Digestive fibre. Um yeah, unless someone has a pre existing they've got something that runs in the family, pre existing kidney condition, then eating protein is absolutely fine. And again, most people don't eat enough protein, so it's nothing you need to worry about. Eating protein supplements is fine for most people as long as you don't have a pre existing condition. That's that's that. Number 24, the only way to lose weight is by cutting out all carbs. <laughs> this is one that I guess like, the social media ones love, don't they? Like no carbs before marbs. You ever hear that one? I'm showing my age now probably. The only way to lose weight, you know, they, they try and tell you, they try and tell you that the only way to lose weight is to cut carbs. So don't eat chips, don't eat um, rice, don't eat pasta, don't eat all that stuff. And while I can kind of understand part of it, because a lot of people eat too many carbs. 
that's a fact. A lot of us don't count our carbs. We don't realize how many we're eating. We don't weigh it. We don't measure it. We don't put it in the scales. We don't use a spoon or we don't use a cup or whatever to measure it out. We just fire it in, don't we? Cook the rice. Oh, how'd they get all that rice? You know, if you put it in the bowl, it could look like, might look like a portion or it might look like two portions. You have no idea if it's 60 grams or if it's 120 grams or if it's 300 grams. It all looks pretty much the same, doesn't it? So some people think you can lose weight by cutting out all those carbs. I guess it takes the mass out of the equation. You don't have to wear it. You don't have to worry about it. Um, but the main thing is calorie deficit so whether you are reducing your carbs or taking out your carbs and getting that calorie deficit or while you're taking out your fats um, the calorie deficit is the difference maker like we said earlier the funny thing is you can keep your protein up high and play about your carbs and fats and really you're not going to do an awful lot of damage the thing that happens with carbs if you're doing lots of training that's when they'll suffer that's whenever you're you can start to notice a bit of a difference or a bit of a dip in performance depending on the type of training you're doing Next one, number 25, if you aren't sore the next day, your workout wasn't tough enough. <laughs> That's something I guess I would get a lot with clients who are new and have started and their family or friends ask, well, are you sore? And they're like, not really. And I'm like, that's a good thing. You don't want to be sore. The goal is not soreness. It might be a byproduct, but it's not the goal. So whenever you get sore, it's called delayed onset muscle soreness. So soreness is inflammation and the chemical response to that inflammation. So if you want to know if you're making progress, you need to know... Are your, your weights going up on the bar? Are you getting stronger? Are you improving? Are your metrics improving? Are they getting better? Are they getting are you getting fitter? You don't need to worry about how sore you are. If you're just trying to get sore, I don't know, like run in front of a bus or something, that'll make you sore. Let a cat scrab you, that'll make you sore. Um you know, get into a scrum in a rugby match, that'll make you sore. There's all sorts of ways they make you sore. Just go on the street and start dishing out insults to people. I guarantee you'll probably get sore sooner or later when you do that. Um, but yeah, don't like if your goal is to get sore, it's just silly. It's just silly, and you're probably going to get injured. Now, you might feel it a little bit sore, but the goal, whenever I'm training someone, I, my goal is to try and train them progressively. So they're going to be progressively overloaded. So they're going to do a little bit more than the last day, but not so much that they're going to be too tight or too sore that it's going to stop them training again that week or it's going to make them think twice about training. I want them to get the stimulus to get stronger or to, to improve their fitness. The goal is not to kind of battle them, to make them sore. That's never, ever the goal. Sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes it's hard to estimate how much to put on or how little to put on. And sometimes you'll be not sore at all. Sometimes you'll be t t extra sore. So if you take a holiday, you take a break, you're going to be sore. It's probably just going to be the way it is. You need a deload anyway, but even still, you might still be a bit sore. Okay, number 26. If you're heavy... It means you're fat. That, this, this one has been about, and I think, not to generalise, but I think women fall for this one more so than men. But whenever you, say you start doing weight training, it's perfectly natural if you do actually gain a little bit of weight, especially if you're of a normal weight and you don't actually need to lose any weight. So weight training, you know, it'll stimulate your body, you're building muscle, and, you know, that will help improve your metabolic rate, and it just makes your body look better. And you're obviously stronger but muscle is known to um, retain sorry it's known to contain a lot of water so whenever you do weight training it causes a bit of inflammation and then this is also a well-known cause of water retention but after you've been doing weights for a few weeks you might notice that your you know scale weight will go up maybe you've done weights for a while and you might actually notice the scales haven't gone down as much as you might have thought so 
even though you're removing fat, you're you're losing fat, you're burning more energy, and you're actually building muscle, which you can do at the start. It's difficult, but you can do it at the start. You, the scale weight might not go as much as you'd hoped. Now you might have lost, you could have lost um, ten pounds of fat, um, not in a month, but like, you know, after a while, ten pounds of fat. But you could have put on three, two, three pounds of muscle, maybe more if you're a guy. Maybe train really hard and you're genetically gifted and you put on four or five pounds of muscle that still only looks like five pounds lost on the scale even though your body will look incredibly different you'll look a lot fitter a lot leaner a lot more toned your clothes will fit better your waist will be slimmer all those sort of things bingo wings gone or reduced at least so there's all that sort of stuff but all the time you haven't lost enough lot of weight now i get clients all the time and start looking better feeling better getting stronger lifting heavier weights and their bodies just look better and if they, they tell tell me that they say that and the family and friends and they'll be like oh my have you lost weight you're looking really great you have you lost weight and they'll be like no i'm pretty much the exact same way it was or they'll be like you've lost loads of weight since the last thing i'm like no i've lost like two pounds maybe but you know i just went to the toilet there so that one is not true necessarily if you're heavy it does not always mean you're fat if you look at a rugby player especially like wingers and backs and stuff they are really muscly with a lot of muscle packed on they're heavy because their muscles heavy um volume wise compared to fat so they might be heavy but it doesn't mean they're fat okay so not always yes you can be heavy and fat at the same time but it's not synonymous doesn't mean the same thing number 27 women tone men build so this is a hard one for people to get their head around Basically, muscle is gained whenever you stimulate you stimulate your muscle fibers to grow larger. So you tear them up, put microscopic tears in them, they repair, heal, grow. And we stimulate them by overloading them. So lifting a little bit more than you did the last day with strength training, heavy weights. Everybody, men and women, release growth hormone. Men obviously more than women, but whenever you do weight training, um, that is increased in both sexes so obviously men can grow more muscle quicker and more of it because they have the advantage of testosterone um, men and women build muscle pretty much in the same way the whole idea of being toning and building they're just re really what they're talking about is the same thing if you reduce fat or even if you keep the body fat the same if you're you don't have loads of it and you build muscle all of a sudden your frame looks a bit firmer a bit harder and therefore more toned so Toning is a bit of a silly word in some ways, but if you're building muscle, it's going to make you look toned. If you lose fat and build muscle, you're going to look more toned. So, men and women both build muscle, just to different degrees, different amounts, plus it's really difficult to do. Your nutrition has to be pretty much on point, and so does your training. Number 28, salt is bad for you. <laughs> this is one, I guess it's been perpetuated for so long now. Doctors love to say actually, don't they? No matter what's going on. How much salt do you take and take reduce salt in your diet? The fact is if you live in a hot country, you're gonna need salt. You're gonna need to replenish salt. It's another mineral and it's really, really is necessary for your health. And also your looks, believe it or not. But if you're really lean and you know, you never really get really vascular, so veiny or pumped whenever you you work out, you're probably low on sodium. Um, if your dad is, if you are lacking on sodium, basically your body holds on to the little amount that you give it. And then if you do start to increase your sodium level, your salt levels, or eat maybe a salty meal, your body will start to retain more water. So yeah, you have a fish and chip or pizza, 
something really salty. What happens is your body starts to retain that salt and the only real way to get rid of it is to drink more water, ironically. So you'll retain more water, but what you want to do is try and drink more water to get rid of it, so flush it out. A normal amount of salt, and this is for, for most people between 1,000-2,000 milligrams um, per day, um, and your body will stop retaining sodium as much. If you're not getting as much, funnily enough, your body retains more of it, but it becomes better. You're kind of training it, like other aspects. You're training it to release the salt. So yeah, you need to balance it. Your electrolytes, electrolyte balance is really, really important. And the impact of salt is, I would say it's overrated, but again, it depends what your, the rest of your diet looks like. Are you training? Are you sweating? Hopefully you are. Sweating is pretty good for you. Number 29, you can eat what you want as long as you train hard and take fat burners. <laughs> so people have heard of fat burners and I think that there's some sort of magic pill. I have to tell you they're not. If you want to burn fat, you want to burn, you know, get rid of fat, you have to burn more energy than you're consuming. Now fat burners will, they're all loaded with caffeine, so much caffeine in every fat burner pretty much that you buy. They, they will increase your heart rate and maybe they like, maybe they will aid in performance because if you take something else with caffeine and like coffee, it's going to give you a bit, a bit of a boost, like a pre-workout. But it's not magic, okay? And the degree to which you can burn fat is not anything remarkable if you're overeating if you're eating whatever you want and then train and then take a fat burners you're you're a ticking time bomb something's gonna go wrong so you can't just eat around eat pizzas eat, eat donuts and um, ice cream and chocolate and uh, biscuits and crisps and take a fat, fat burner and uh, ah, don't need exercise i just uh, take fat burner don't need to watch what i'm eating it's just ridiculous listen listen even saying it sounds ridiculous Number 30, if you want to lose fat, you should avoid eating fat. <laughs> this one is entirely false. So you need fat, like we said earlier. Um, you need fat to maintain healthy hormone levels, hormone balance, hormone regulation, and to also make use of your vitamins that you take in. So there's water-soluble vitamins, fat-soluble vitamins. So without it, you you really you create a really poor environment, poor conditions, not optimal conditions for building muscle or retaining muscle. Fats also help regulate your appetite. So if you're low in fats, you're going to be hungry, which means you're going to take in more calories, which means you're going to put on more weight, unwanted weight. So if you go for like a, you know, just a carbon protein only diet and cut out all other fats as best you can, um, if you're trying to either lose fat or build muscle, you're really fighting an uphill battle. Number 31. If you're a woman or a lady, I'm not sure what the difference is, you can let me know. Don't work your upper body more than once per week or you'll end up looking like a man. Oh dear, dear, dear. I don't know who said I don't know who I don't know who comes up with these these things, seriously. It's like a source of irritation to me having to read it, but why once a week? This is common, like I'm not saying once a week's maybe not common. Some people think don't just don't do too much upper body work, otherwise you'll end up looking like a man. Or another one in line with this, don't do wide pull ups, otherwise you'll get huge lats like a man. You have huge, huge lats. Your back be really wide. No, but no woman wants a wide back. Um, that's ridiculous. If you go do wide pull-ups, you're still working the same muscles. Talking about all that angles and stuff, it's is absolutely absurd to think that you're accidentally going to build lats from doing wide pull-ups. Just do pull-ups. Um, if you just feel if you do find your lats are getting a little bit overdeveloped, maybe just don't do as many. Yes, maybe just dial back on it a bit. But 
to say that <laughs> it's just it's just bizarre. Um, for bone health as much as anything else, I want to want to try and approach this one with some sort of um a level head because I'm gonna lose my temper in a minute. <laughs> but like if you think of it from bone bone health, women need strength training, especially um come up the menopause and beyond. You need to invest in your bone health. So training upper body once per week do you really want to increase the risk of developing osteoporosis and osteoarthritis in your upper body and just you know hope for the best in your, your lower body you know, do a few more sessions it's ridiculous you need to train train your upper body train your lower body women actually tend to have weaker upper bodies relative to their lower bodies than men men if you compare bench press to bench press if a man's got a 150 kilo back squat and a 100 kilo you know, maybe have a 100 kilo bench press if a woman has a 150 kilo back squat she might only have a 60 or 70 or 80 kilo bench press. Um, and, that, and we're talking about really strong people here. But that is uh, something to bear in mind. So maybe women actually do need to do a little bit more. If anything, they might need to do a bit more upper body work to bring it up relative. Um, number 32, your metabolism slows down after you hit 30. After that, you're doomed to putting on fat. It's just your destiny. It can be easy to think that. I can understand why people think that and they think that the reason is you know, we hit this magic number of 30 but it's still a myth. It's still incorrect. It's still wrong. If you compare your lifestyle to what you were doing whenever you are 20, whenever you are in your teens, early 20s, up to 25, you're probably out and about all the time. Now, yes, different hormones and things will cause weight gain to happen easier as we get older, both men and women. But it doesn't mean that that is the way it has to be. It just means we have to dial in our calories a little bit. Maybe we're going to have to do a bit more, bit more work. Maybe we just have to get a bit more active, more walking. Um, stop parking the car, cars so close to the shops. Maybe walk a little bit further. Take the steps instead of the elevator. All the basic stuff we're always told to do. We need to just do it. And maybe start counting calories. Just do an audit and see, right, I was eating this amount of calories. I, I could get with, well, I was eating anything whenever I was 20. Whenever I'm in my 30s and 40s. Funny enough, I can't get away with the same thing. Yes, your metabolism does slow down a little bit every single year. If you've built muscle, that will help. If you're strong, if you're training heavy, that's going to help as well because it burns lots and lots of calories. Um, so it's it's not just, you know, because you turn 30, all of a sudden you put on fat. It doesn't just happen like that. And it can really damage your psychology to think that it does happen like that and that you're powerless in the, 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 the situation because you're not. Yoga can help with all types of back pain. Number 33. So yoga, a lot of people turn to yoga whenever they start experiencing back pain. And I can't understand again why. Because you, you might know, know a friend who's really flexible and they don't seem to have any extra pains ever. And that's great. Um, however, I have clients who do yoga and started to get back pain. And yoga started to make it worse. No, it's not because yoga itself made it worse. It's because of the exercises that they were doing, the movement patterns that they were doing, were triggering their back issue, whatever that was. Not all back pain is the same. Not all back pain is triggered um, for the same reasons. So that's something to be aware of as well. Some yoga exercises will benefit your back pain and there's other ones that will take it right off. So that one is also a myth. So don't just think turning to yoga is going to fix all your problems. Just like saying like turning to strength training is going to fix all your back problems because it won't. You still need to figure out what your triggers are and you still need to address those and if there's any imbalances. You need to, need to fix that. Um, some of the stretches and things, yes, they can help, but if your back pain is 
you know, touch, say touching your toes, for example, that's like a common thing in, in yoga, right? It's like a basic thing you do in day one, yoga 101, you try and touch your toes, you try and stretch down. Some people leaning forward just triggers their back and immediately puts them into pain and spasm, so that's obviously going to be bad for it. Now, there's other things like, uh, you know, if you're lying on your, on your like a half push-up, I don't know what the yoga name is, yoga equivalent, but if you're lying on your, on your tummy on the floor and you're trying to do like a half push-up, keeping your hips tight to the floor, but lifting your shoulders off the floor, that might help that back pain if it is the other type. So there's flexion back pain, flexion-based back pain, or flexion, flexion triggering back pain, and there's extension um, triggering back pain. So you need to try and figure out maybe it's rotation, maybe it's just side bend and things like that. There's other there's all sorts of ways your back could be getting annoyed. So just to say that doing yoga is going to fix it, it's, it's a bit naive. So it is a myth. Myths might be a strong word, but you know what I mean. Number 34, nearly there. If you're work, not working up a sweat, you're not working hard enough. So sweating, it doesn't necessarily indicate your um, your exertion levels. I'm going to touch on this before. There's a similar one we just answered. But if, you, if you're sweating, you're just basically cooling yourself down. And it is possible, you know, to burn a lot of calories without breaking a sweat, especially if you're doing it in a cold environment like my garage. Um, you're not gonna. You're probably gonna do a full weight session and not really break a sweat apart from maybe your armpits. Um, if you you know you do you could do a walk or you could do some weight training and you'll probably not break a sweat like realistically unless you're absolutely hammering it or you're a sweaty person individually as well. That's something else to bear in mind. Everybody sweats different according to their genetics. You could say. Number 35, as long as you feel okay when you're working out, you're probably not overdoing it. This is a big mistake, especially for newbies. First of all, the first day, you'll be going, this is grand, yeah, and you'll push a bit too hard maybe. First first one's a hard one. So the first one, trying to figure out what weights to select, what weights to do. Because you can push, because you, do, you, you can do it doesn't mean you should do it, like we said earlier. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Equally, if you... I've taken a break for a month or so from weight training and you go back into it. Just because you can lift the same weight as you did before doesn't mean you should. Most people won't be able to, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. Because you will be sore. You'll be really sore. And uh, you'll not be able to sit down probably for a few days or a week. Um, So that's why, just because you're okay when you're working out doesn't mean you're not overdoing it. You could be overdoing it. Sometimes when you're younger, you can get away with things you can't get away with when you're older. So you could be doing things and hurting your back or something, lifting wrong, and not feel it until the day later. When the adrenaline dies down, or later on that evening, you'll feel the back locking up and tightening. Just because you don't feel too bad because the adrenaline's going, doesn't mean you haven't done some sort of damage and you're not continually doing damage. Number 36, skipping meals saves you calories. Now, in theory, this sounds like it's true, um, but in the long run, it's, it's false. Um, what, what I mean by that is, if you skip meals... What can happen is you start to feel tired, you feel more hungry, and you're probably going to reach for something convenient and high in calories, and high in salt, high in fat, high in sugar, processed food. You're going to grab something convenient. So if you skip your breakfast, for example, it can seem like, oh, I'm skipping a meal, so I'm reducing calories. That's 400 calories I save. But it's going to make you make it harder to eat something sensible later on because you're going to be so hungry and you're not going to plan for it and you're just going to grab the nearest thing, like a fry, 10 o'clock comes, along, comes around. So maybe just skimming the calories a little bit over each each meal if that's what you're trying to do, or just cut out the snacks. Um, but skipping meals, aside from it, maybe you're doing intermittent fasting or something like that, 
but it doesn't you know quite often people find when they skip meals they're not really saving calories if you add it up across the week just because you ate 800 calories monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday you could just crack and this happens i see it time and time again people crack at the weekends they'll have deprived themselves starved themselves for um five days and then friday evening comes takeaway drinks saturday morning fry lunch huge three course meal or something or another fry um saturday night takeaway or out for dinner drinks and same on sunday possibly through you know big sunday roast dinner takeaway in the evening again more drinks and a fry in the morning and then before you know it you've bumped your calories way up for the week so it's not just me thinking about what calories you're taking in each day it's thinking about averaging it across the week it's thinking about averaging it across the, the month but um yeah you might think you're saving it in the long in the short term but not really in the long term you can't eat anything after 8 p.m. or it turns to fat. Um, this is another one that is really, really frustrating and it's really, it's a really stubborn one. I still got clients coming in or potential clients or new clients coming in thinking that this is true, thinking that they've heard something or read something in, you know, Cosmopolitan or Women's Health or Men's Health, saying, just stop eating after 6 p.m. All your problems will go away. All your weight issues will will disappear. If you eat an apple, right, say your apple has 80 calories in it. Just because you eat it after 8pm doesn't suddenly bunk it up to 800 calories. Do you get what I mean? What you eat during the day is is important. Now, if that helps you to discipline yourself by saying, I'm going to stop eating at 6pm, cool. But there's nothing magical about that time, or 8pm, sorry. If there's nothing magical about certain times of the clock. If it helps you add discipline to your routine in your life and help you manage your calories, perfect go for it but it is a myth to say that you shouldn't or you can't or it's bad for you to eat after 8 p.m certain foods are also better for you after 8 p.m than others some things are good to eat before bed because they're slow release protein casein protein that'll keep you fed all night long especially if you're trying to put on muscle and stay full number 37 if you want to get in shape or stay in shape you can't ever eat a takeaway <laughs> so there's a couple of things first of all it's easier to stay in shape whenever you're on shape than to try and get in shape so okay so if you're top of the mountain it takes less effort to stay there than to you know start climbing up again if you have to climb the mountain again another another peak then uh, it's going to be harder so you can still eat a takeaway it depends on the frequency of it so if you're having one four or five times a week that's a problem that's going to be hard to get into shape if you're doing that that's probably what put you out of shape in the first place or one of the things so maybe have it once a week. Maybe if you're doing five or four or five times a week now, I would suggest dropping it to one or two. If you're at one or two, drop it to one. If you're at one and you want still want to try and lose a bit more weight or try and tweak things and just eat a bit healthier and lead a healthier lifestyle, maybe drop it to once a month. You know, make it a treat and uh, that from that perspective. So you can still get in shape, by the way. You can get in shape and the frequency is the thing that will determine whether or not that'll happen. Number 39, squats are bad for your knees. This is another thing, I guess, people have heard. I don't know who's saying it, but it's lies. It's completely untrue. Squats are not bad for your knees. Squats are a foundational movement that humans have been performing for a long time. Generations. Before I was born, before gyms were a thing, humans have been squatting. Before, like, thousands of years, humans have been squatting and squatting. Um, as part of their lifestyle as part of their daily routine being able to sit in the, the bottom of the squat which we in the west 
think is odd. We think that it's something that only uh, I know kids should be able to do or some sort of genetic freaks, but it really everybody should be able to do it. It's just that we lose the ability to do it. Squats aren't bad for your knees. Squats can can be bad for your knees if you perform them correctly. So for example, if you start doing squats with a weight and you have your heels off the floor, a lot of the pressure goes into your knees then. If you let your knees cave in so you're they're not pointing where your toes are pointing, that can start hurting your knees and be bad for your knees. If you drive the knees too far forward um, over your toes, and again, this is all in relation to where the, where the center of gravity is. So if you've got a barbell on your back with weight, you want to keep that weight mid-foot, whether you're going down at the squat or coming back up again. If you deviate from that point, you're going to potentially hurt something, be it your knees or be it your back or be it your hips or be it your ankles, something. Your knees just tend to be the one that caught in the middle. If you're doing things correctly, progressively, not loading up too heavy too soon, squats are excellent for your knees. They're excellent for your, your glutes, your hamstrings, your quads, and your tendons and your ligaments. They're fantastic. They're great for your hip health, they're great for your back health, they're great for your shoulder mobility doing back squats as well. Squats are awesome. I can't emphasize that enough. Squats are so good. And if you can, unless you've got a pre-existing condition in your, in your knees, then that is a different matter. But squats are not bad for someone who has perfectly good functioning knees. And a lot of time, if you do have dodgy knees, squats can help to fix them if you do them again progressively and correctly. Number 40, the last one, last one in the batch. Deadlifts are bad for your back. So similar to 39. Again, a lot of people blame the deadlift for hurting their back or uh, making their back sore. The amount of people I get coming to the gym saying they've tried deadlifts before, hurt their back, didn't do them again. And it's really sad because I love deadlifts. Deadlifts are a fantastic exercise and they're not bad for your back per se. If you do them again incorrectly, they will, they're pretty unforgiving. I'll give you that. But they are, again, incredible for your back. It's funny how other people are able to do them, right? You know, if someone complains about how deadlifts are bad for your back, it's quite often the case that they weren't doing them correctly. But it's kind of funny how they're, they're just able to dismiss that and not look at all the other people who are able to do them without pain and lift hundreds of kilos. Why is that? Surely if they're bad for your back, those people's backs would be snapped in two with the weights they're trying to shift. Do you get what I mean? So hopefully that has cleared up a lot of rumours, a lot of speculation, a lot of myths and a lot of nonsense that is out there in the fitness industry. There's so many, isn't there? 40 of them. Why keep going? Why do 80 of them? Some of them are quite similar, some of them are very different. And if you have any other things that you're wondering, is this a myth or is this true? Send them in. I'd love to do a part two on this um, if we can get enough of them together. So do keep in touch, let me know what you think and if there are any ones that you were surprised by. I'd love to hear from you. It's joke of the week time and uh, from here on out we're going to do Christmas jokes because they're particularly bad, right? So I asked my wife what she wanted for Christmas and she told me, Stuart, nothing would make me happier than a diamond necklace. So I bought her nothing. Don't tell her that's a surprise. And that is the end of show number 30. Thank you so much for listening. 
have a lovely weekend next week we have a very special guest on his name is mr jonathan goodman and he did it with me over zoom from mexico and yeah i know mexico wouldn't you have to be there right now it's pretty cool here and uh, it's pretty hot and uh, sunny there but yeah jonathan really good guy he is a he's like the he's like the personal trainers trainer Jonathan has written several books and I've got four or five of them I think at least done his online trainer certification um, I follow him on Facebook Instagram and LinkedIn as well and basically anytime he says anything I try to read it or listen to it because he he speaks a lot of sense and he's one of those people that you should pay attention to so really kind of Jonathan to give me some of his time and let me uh, let me pick his brain and yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting show. So we're gonna put that together for next week. Already done it. Just need to edit it and put it together in show format. So look out for that next week. That'll be show number thirty-one. And yeah, get started your Christmas shopping because you know I don't know how many Christmas shopping days there is, but they're probably gonna close this up again, right? Don't forget to spend your your spend local voucher as well. Cross functional fitness takes them. A few people already actually have, have, have used them and. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Thank you for thinking of us. And yeah, looking forward to chatting with you again next week. So, strength for tomorrow radio. Thank you for your time. And thank you for keeping the company this year. See you next week.